For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. And if you hold out for another month and a half, seems like the NBA will be back before we know it. We're already talking about a Christmas Day return, so that'll give you something fun to bet on. But they have everything from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It actually never closes. Literally 24-7 it is open, so give that a go. Head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everybody. Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Moderno. I'm joined, as always, by Larry Hughes. Larry, I got a couple stories I want to bounce off you this week, one of them involving two of your former teammates. Uh, Gilbert Arenas said on his podcast this week that uh, he was talking about the on-court demeanor of certain players and how it changes, you know, when they step between the lines. And he mentioned a story where Steve Blake walked on court and was getting up in Gilbert on, you know, guarding him a little too tight. I don't know if Gilbert said something to him, but Blake just hauled off and punched him in the face, uh, like in the middle of play. And I guess they wrestled and scrapped and, you know, had it out. But then Gilbert said the minute the incident was over and practice ended, Steve was like, hey, do you want to go, uh, you want to grab some food at Legal Seafood after practice? And was just totally over it, like nothing happened. One, were you there for that incident? Do you remember that? And two, is that kind of a common thing or uh, is that kind of an extreme example? Well, you know what, man? The, the league is made up of, a, you know, guys from, from all over, right? From all different walks of life, different neighborhoods, whether you're white or black. You just, you know, everybody's wired, you know, a little bit different. Sure. And I don't, I don't think I was there for that, but that is Steve. And I may have been, but that was Steve's makeup. I mean, that's why we loved him. That's why we brought him in. That's why we took him out to the clubs with us. Like he was, he was one of those guys, like you knew if Steve was with you, he was, he was with you. So I, I'm not mad at Steve at all for that. I think it's kind of a good thing too. You know, like sometimes even the the star player on the team needs somebody to push back a little bit and, and just say they're not going to take their crap. Man, everybody's free game. You know, everybody's free game. You know, sometimes management has to step in and tell another player to, hey, you know, let this guy kind of be. But it's a grown man's game. As a, as a former Terp, uh, I, I love hearing Steve Blake stories like that, too. So so that one was pretty funny when I heard it. But what, I remember- there's a video. There's a video of Steve getting into it with one of his, his college teammates. I yeah, can't remember his name. I want to say it was John Gilchrist, but yeah, it was he, John Gilchrist for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so that's you know that's pretty consistent with with Steve's makeup. I remember um, when he was a Laker too. Kobe saying like, "Oh, Steve's my guy because one, he's a hard worker; two, he's not taking shit from anybody; 
that's kind of what you got to do to set yourself apart too. If you're not like, you know, the most athletic or most gifted guy and everybody said he was a hard worker. So I got a story about Steve, man. Uh We we can't just let Steve go, man. So Steve's pops, man, you know, would, would travel around, would drive to the games. You know, we were going the road. Steve's pops would, would drive and he would show up, you know what I'm saying? To the games to support Steve. And I think Steve carried that. Like he understood, like, if you look, you know, took the, the eye test, he may not pass the eye test, but if you put Steve in a foxhole, he was one of those guys that were going to ride with you. And what's funny, man, is that his pops would just randomly show up and jump out of his, his van, you know, his, his, his passenger van, and he would be there. And you could not tell this guy that Steve wasn't the best thing smoking because that was who they were. Yeah, I mean, you got to have self-belief if everybody else is going to doubt you and stuff like that. I, I think his dad was like a pretty uh, well-established like high school coach in the Virginia area too. So, uh, you know, the coach's son mantra and stuff like that, got to carry that badge of honor with him. I remember going up to Blake while he was, I guess I was probably middle school at the time after a practice. So the year after the national championship game. And me and a buddy tried to get an autograph and he just looked at us and was like, not right now. I got work to do and just kept on going. And I, I've seen him, you know, various stuff in the last decade since and seems like a really nice, friendly guy. But like it was that same thing of like, I'm in practice mode. Not, you know, that that's not going to happen right now. So I can picture it, you know, just from all the stuff I've heard. But I, I thought Shout that was out Steve funny. Blake, man. Yeah, always, always uh, good shenanigans stories with Gilbert involved too. So I, I was very curious as soon as I heard that one. I was like, all right, Larry was there a couple of the years, though both those guys were. So I thought, thought you might have seen that one in person. Little other podcast news: a uh, friend of the show, the athletic Sam Vicini, recently did a Southeast Division, you know, preseason uh, or I guess off-season preview. And one of the big things they talked about was Davis Berton's resigning. And I guess just based on their homework and similar deals for players with his level of production, uh, they were talking about a four years and somewhere in the neighborhood of 60, 70 million seemed like probably the number. So that works out to somewhere between 15 and $18 million a year. That's pretty steep for a guy that you're not projecting to start next year. What's, I don't want to say like, what's the number as if we know what the cap is and stuff like that, but What's the point for the Wizards where you have to decide where like a one skill guy like Bertans, you know, does it make sense to go that all in on a guy? And, and he seemed to think that they would, that, that they would be willing to kind of ride it out with him and, and go all in this year. No, I, I think that, the, you know, that's the, the nature. That's the game that we're in now, you know, as far as, the, you know, how salaries have escalated and, you know, the, the, the dollar you know, amount that these guys are getting, you have to fill the team. And you have to have quality guys. You have to it, – it is about, you know, their production, but you want to understand what they're doing in the locker room, how they're supporting the team, how they're supporting the community. So it's, an, it's a full package. It's, it, it, is, it is the basketball game that we're concerned about, but there's so many other things that go into being a professional that has a price tag on it as well. I mean, if he's not a knucklehead, you may bump him up a couple million. I mean, that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at it as it's the sign of the times. Uh, a guy that can shoot the basketball when it's your time to, to get your check. You don't want guys backtracking and figuring out, you know, why this guy made this and this guy made that you want to get your just due. So I can understand where, you know, where he's coming from as far as his ask and what his value is. I think it's it's validated because 
Uh, he's shown that he is someone that an organization would want. And obviously the guys that are playing around him would rather have him than not. And, and there's a price tag associated with that. And again, you talk about four-year deals and you talk about getting value uh, for those two years and that third year and figuring out uh, if he can come off of somebody else's books. So it's, it's still a business call when you try to figure out if a guy's going to you know, live out that contract or what sort of thoughts that an organization may have about the last year of that deal. Can, can we benefit from the last year of this deal uh, to move it, to release our money, to get a, a younger play? So there's a lot of things that go into you know, the strategizing, but I wouldn't count that man's pockets, man. I think it's his time, and you, know, you have to see where those chips fall. The four years made me a little more hesitant than the actual dollar amount, if only because I'm not a big believer that in like big situations you can play he and Rui together as your wings. Uh, I just limited sample size this year, but I didn't really like how that looked. There's not really a, and maybe Rui gets a lot better defensively, which I'm hoping you will anyway. But that's just a tough uh, a tough combo with Brad and John, who aren't necessarily you know, top-notch perimeter defenders themselves at this point, although they both have the potential to be if, when they want to be. But, but if you can't really play those two guys together and he's a long-term bench player, presumably in four years, you know, Rui hopefully has gotten better and is entrenched as that starter. So it's just a long commitment to a guy that you don't envision, you know, maybe being in your crunch time lineups a lot of the time. Yeah, it, it's about those assets. I mean, if, you know, the salary cap comes in at 115 instead of the 109 or – God forbid it gets, you know, in the 90s, but you have money available to field players and also to give a couple more dollars than you would normally do mm-hmm. if the salary cap jumps, you know, once we get out of this, this COVID situation. If you're the team, how do you play this? Do you start with an offer that you think is fair and give him something to respond to? Or, you know, like I don't, would never suggest lowballing a guy, obviously, but like here's what we think the market value is based on you, you know, what your production is and what we think your role will be. Or do you kind of let other teams come in and set the market and then you either match or one up if you need to, like what's the preferred, you know, preferred way to go from the player perspective, I guess. Well, I think a guy like that is, is going to fall into that mid tier position, right? I think that you can set uh, the, the dollar amount as your, his, his own organization can set the dollar amount as to what they feel it's going to make the most sense to build a quality team because even if you make the money and you're on a bad team that, you know, like we're seeing, you know, in certain situations, it's not going to be fun. So Mm -hmm. a player can take an opportunity to look at something with a couple less dollars, but with the opportunity to win and compete uh, for championships, which we all want to do. But if you get the vote of confidence from your organization, your home base from the start, and then obviously everybody can come and pitch in and tell them how great you can be in their situation. But I think the home team coming in first uh, and giving a, a very fair uh, understanding of, of who that player is and what the expectations are from the team is, is the best way to go. I don't think you allow somebody to come into your backyard mm. and give something that you're not even willing to to think about doing, right? Then there's no conversation to be had. You're going to lose that player just right off the gate. So if I'm a home team, you know, I, I would like to see those guys come in with obviously what they feel makes the most sense in, in their journey to build. If if the player feels like it's low, then so be it. But ultimately you're trying to build a situation where 
you can compete for a championship. And, you know, players are going to respect that, whether they like that dollar amount or not. And if the dollars are out there, they're going to get those dollars. How much sway does your teammates in a situation like that have on you? Like if, if you're Bertans and, and John Wall says like, Hey, I think we're going to make a great duo. I'm excited to play with you. Brad says, I really want you back. Like, does that help you a little bit from the the home hometown discount kind of thing, or like if if you know you're going to be in a situation where where the your teammates see your value too? I think it does because there's a lot of other things that go on within the basketball team within that family, right? These guys have other endorsements. They do commercials. They do a lot of different things that if you're a teammate that they want, they can include you into those things. So it really becomes a family where you know I'm relying on you to to help me be successful and, and vice versa. And I would, you know, take, I, personally, I think that if Washington, in my situation, right, when I was a free agent way back when, mm-hmm. if they would have called Gilbert and said, hey, GA, you know, how do you feel about us offering L this amount of money? Are you cool with it? I think he would have said yes. He would call me and said, hey, we talked about this. Don't worry about anything and let's get it done. So I think that you get that vote of confidence from your teammate that helps out a lot because I feel like in the situation that I had, I think the team wasn't sure on how the other player would feel about the deal. Money, yeah. But if you have that confidence from that other player and it's known, then it's a it's it's an easier conversation. Gilbert said something along those lines when when we had him on, like, hey, I wish somebody had said something to me about, like, there was no ego there. Like, Larry should have been the all-star that year, like him getting more money, like that, that didn't play into it. I, I mean, just just in a work, like a regular work situation, work dynamic for me, if if I know I have coworkers I like, uh, that plays a lot into quality of life and and things like that and, and your opportunity to grow if you've, you know, a, a good boss or a good coach and GM in this case, like, I definitely think it would give me something extra to think about if, if they show you the love, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I can speak for a lot of players, man. Just being comfortable, right? Not looking over your back or if these guys are chirping about this deal or these guys are chirping about these amount of shots or these minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're comfortable that, you know, everything is on the up and up, I mean, let's stay there. You know, that, that, yeah. that's rock and roll because everything is above board because you do have situations where guys chirp and – if somebody doesn't want you as a teammate, they find really bad ways to to tell you that they don't want you as a teammate other than just saying, hey, I think you should move on. You know, I, I don't really know what the ceiling is for the Wizards next year. If if Wall comes back at a reasonable, uh, you know, approximation of what it was before, you keep Bertans. Like, I, I assume a playoff team, I have no idea where in the standings. It depends on what other people do. But the other teams that have enough space to give Berton's money, like I, I don't think many of them would offer him a better situation in terms of, of on the court wins, but also playing time. Like there might be places where he could be on a better team, but I doubt they could pay him the same or give him the same minutes for me. I, again, I can't make that decision for him, but it, it seems like a really good blend of one. They gave you a big opportunity Two, You're definitely going to get a lot of minutes. Three, you should be a good fit with the personnel and four, you're going to get to contribute to a team that that hopefully can make a run by by the end of next year. Not maybe not run to a title, but at least be competitive in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that that's the balance that you have to understand as a player, right? Just your opportunities, your exposure, 
right? If you're playing on a good team, just the exposure is greater than if you're playing on a bad team, right? Because we want to see the good teams on TV, right? Endorsers want to see the good teams, the good players in their products. So I think it's things that you have to look at outside of the game as well when you talk about what wins and losses do for you. You know, it, it, that's very important to think about. It, it is a business decision. It's not, you know, personal. It's not emotional. It's a business decision because these guys are signing deals. And, you know, my understanding and expectation is this is not the last deal that this guy wants to sign. Right. So he has to keep his business mind intact that the opportunities that he's going to have with the exposure of getting the minutes, showing what he can do, being on film in every game, having a scouting report that's driven to not allowing him to do what he does best. Uh, that's very important. You never know how things will go with injuries and stuff like that, but you also got to assume the way the league is played right now, a 6'10 guy that can shoot it from pretty much anywhere inside half court will have a, a decent amount of longevity. And, and that's when you talk about how guys games will age, I would be less concerned about, you know, him from that perspective, it's not like there's going to be a major physical drop off that limits his production or anything like that. Yeah. If you're a quality guy, man, it's, it's like, you know, get it now or get it later. Right. But eventually you'll get it because you're a quality guy. And, and that's just the way the, you know, that's just the way the ball bounces. Speaking of, of people on podcasts, Mr. Bradley Beal has been making the rounds a little bit here. He was on the JJ Reddick podcast this week. The main takeaway that I think has sort of latched on to to fans and the local media outlets has been basically Brad's notion of he wanted to be somewhere where he could be the focal point of a team or, or you know, one of the main couple focal points at least, have a team be built around him. He'd like for that place to be D.C., but uh, it was a very strong, like, it, it wasn't, like, overly stated, but he, he made it very clear, like, but I'm expecting the organization to hold up their end and make real strides towards showing me you know, we're, we're serious about this thing and it's not a prolonged rebuild and stuff like that. And then also threw in a, and Hey, I also kind of want to see how John Wall comes back. I've seen mixed reactions to some of those things. To me, that's one, it seems like a very honest way to look at it. And two, I don't think there's anything wrong or unfair about saying that. Like, Hey, I want to be here, but there are other circumstances beyond my control that'll determine what I choose to do. Yeah, man, the, the business of basketball has just grown so much that, you know, these guys have to worry about their brand. And once they get done, if they win a championship, as opposed to just going out and hoop, like, let's just go out and hoop. The things are going to happen. You know, like you said, injury, injuries are going to happen. It's your choice to accept deals. It's, it's your choice to take X amount of salary cap dollars. Like, it's your choice to to create a situation that makes the most sense for you. And I don't think it's always fair to now say, all right, what are you guys are going to do around me? Right. Because it, it's tough, right? Because it's a numbers game. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a relationship game. It's putting the pieces together that, that, that mesh the best and the dollars they may not, not always match up the quality of player and the dollar. It, it may not always match up and it may not happen in the first or second year. It may be an opportunity to happen in the third or fourth year. So I just think that it, it's tough when these guys have to look at a lot of these guys are looking at their legacy before anything is said and done, right? If you just go out and you just hoop and if it, if the situation is not right for you, then you move on. Yeah. But I just think that if there's a lot of talk about what management should do or, or what should be done around me 
that I have a hard time like understanding that because if you give me myself and four of the guys, like we're going to hoop and we're going to compete. And I really think that that's what it's about. And I understand it. Like I'm understand. I'm not like the old guy of get off my lawn, but I, I am from the space of just go do what you do. My and five against your five, you know, yeah, let's bring it. If it don't work, then I'm you like me that, Hey, um, is there any other opportunity that I can go somewhere else and do something different? Yeah. And then that's the approach that you take, but you don't prolong it. Like you don't, like, it's like holding people to the fire. Like, I, I don't necessarily agree with that sort of process. Sure. I'm with you. I, I think I I would feel the same way in, in a situation like that. You know, I think there's some amount of, like, the way Lillard looked at it, like, nah, I'm going to stay with my guys. Like, you know, this is my squad. I want to do it here. Um, uh, it's it's us against everyone. Like, I, I typically resonate with with that kind of mindset. But they got into this conversation with Brad about who his – his best teammates beyond John Wall have been. And I wrote an article at the end of the year last year, and I, I tried to rank the top 100 wizards of the last decade. And I had Gortat third and Nene fourth. And people were blasting me online about, you know, oh, that's crazy. We've had so many better guys. And I'm like, okay, who are they? Like in terms of impact, like you could say Paul Pierce was better for his career, but the level he played at for one season as a wizard, it doesn't match uh, what Gortat did for five seasons where he played, you know, 75 games every year. Gortat's a really good player. Nene was a really good player, but it is a little staggering to think about that those are probably like markedly the two best guys that they played with in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, that, that is interesting. And I haven't you know looked at that list and obviously when you, you play the season out and you end up where you end up, it's the draft picks that you get yeah. and it's how they pan out. And I mean, we're still in a, in a kind of a waiting see sort of position, right? I just think that there are a lot of situations where guys just don't pan out. And it's, it's tough when you get a draft pick that's not, you know, it's not the quality player. It's not able to stay healthy, mm-hmm. right? You Now you have to sign that guy to a, a, a deal, and then you still have to build around that guy or those guys when you talk about, you know, using the lottery to, to, build, a, to build a team. And that's what's really been, the, you know, the issue is that Washington has finished low in the standings, and you had to look to the draft to build players and then try to attract free agent guys in that manner, when just a lot of free agent guys aren't willing to to jump and go in and play on a lottery know, team with the lottery team, right? So it's just it's that balance, and and I'm just just kind of you know just mind boggled a little bit as far as just the you know the market value that that Washington has and how it's it's you know it's not considered you know an attraction you know for for guys to come and play. I mean, it's just. I wonder why, and I, I, I am going to just dig a little bit deeper into that to just try to understand, you know, why, you know, it's not one of those markets. Yeah, I think that'd be a huge, huge conversation. I know from from doing enough, you know, media stuff over the years, when you talk about media markets, DC isn't nearly as high as I, as I thought it would be for being the nation's capital, you know, like stuff like Philly is considerably uh, higher up on those lists. And I don't know if that's the the Baltimore split being close by, you're kind of cutting a market in half maybe, but TV viewership dollars attached to that, maybe that's part of it. But 
to me, it just comes back to like the lack of meaningful success. If, you know, if you're Charlotte, but you win three of the next five titles, you know, you can, you can make yourself a, a destination for free agents. I mean, obviously that's a, an extreme example, but it, you know, if you don't win anything and you got a lot of money tied up in two guys, it, it just, I can see why people are a little hesitant to make that move. And, and just some of the way we've handled some of the guys we've had, like you give Otto Porter a big deal and then you run him out of town the next year you give, well, before Kelly Oubre needs a deal, you trade him for cents on the dollar. Like, those are the guys like you needed one of those guys to pan out and you needed one of those guys to be on a team friendly deal as kind of a third option. And one, they, I would say overpaid, I think is probably fair at this point. And, and he's had some injuries since then. And the other one, they just didn't even attempt to pay. So whether that's right or wrong, it, it just, that really limits what you can do. And I think it's, it's about, you know, up top, right. And, and really forecasting and seeing, you know, those opportunities before they happen. I mean, you can't get rid of a guy like Kelly. I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of how he was in the locker room. I knew he was a little bit different as far as to, you know, his approach and his appearance, but you know, he's one of those guys. I mean, he's one of those guys, like he's one of those young guys that in a situation where he's able to have structure, uh, have an environment that's, that's dedicated to winning, like, he could make some some noise. And I think that you lose that opportunity when, you know, you don't bring him back or you don't even attempt to to bring him back because other guys see that, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a brother league, right? Yeah. We all see what's going on in different organizations and that's how it goes. For me, if I were going to go take a job at a place, I would be asking around to people that I knew that had been there or, uh, hey, you worked at this place 10 years ago. What was it like back then? And I think part of it is just, I've said this before, but the lack of guys from from your class or generation that are super involved with the team, obviously Jameson's in a position now, Karan's back a little bit too, but there hadn't been a lot of that for the last couple of years. And, and I got to think guys see that too. Like it, it's, if it's not a place guys want to go back to, it, it wouldn't attract me as a place I would want to go to. And on the Kelly Oubre thing, maybe, you know, let's say if he was a problem in the locker room or something like that, you still got to recoup fair value when you trade him and 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 make something of that asset. He's six seven. He averaged you know, seventeen points a game last year, and and they traded him for a guy to try to save a GM's job. You know, I mean, it just not that Trevor Ariza isn't a, wasn't a really good player, but he's on the back end of his career and, and doesn't fit with the timeline of where they're at. You need guys that are going to keep getting better. You know, we've traded so many draft picks away, like. Markeith Morris was a good pickup. Gortat was a good pickup. But these are all guys you gave up lottery picks potentially to get. And, and you just can't afford to not have that because you need one of those guys where you get lucky on. Like Boston having Tatum and Brown on rookie deals but producing like all-stars, that's how those teams make moves unless you're L.A. and you can go into the luxury tax and all that stuff. That comment, is that's, it's proven, man. That comment just with getting lucky with those rookies on that rookie deal that it's it's proven right and, and, and when you have it in your grasp you have to you have to hold on to it mm-hmm. yeah or or you got to make a really shrewd move like the the indie move to get tj warren for basically uh you know cat you know cap space like you you need one of those almost to pan out that's kind of a last ditch move and i can't think of the last time you know washington really like considerably got the better end of a deal it was maybe 
exchanging Kwame Brown for Karan Butler. Like, I think that might legitimately be like our last, you know, trade where we've come out like way on top on, on that end of it, I think. So just piggybacking off that a little bit, Brad also talked about how he's had, in one season, he had over 30 teammates or close to 30 teammates, and then several others he's had in the 20s. How much does a lack of continuity, even just from you know the start of the season to the end of the season, uh, affect the team's success and affect that that chemistry in the locker room and things like that? Like obviously the guys on two-way contracts are going back and forth between the G League, like that's going to happen. But I got to imagine if you just keep overhauling half your roster every year at the trade deadline or in the off season, uh, that has an effect on things too. Yeah, I mean I think if you have that, you know, you're seven. You know, seven guys, you know, you, you know, a couple years after a couple years that those guys are turning over where those guys are coming back. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're always going to have that back end roster moves where, sure. you know, you're tinkering with stuff. Yeah. yeah, you're nine through 15. I mean, they're always going to move. I mean, because there's always greater looking for greater opportunity. But I think, if you know, if your top six guys are coming back year after year, that's, you know, that that's really all you can ask for, so especially if, if these guys are healthy. If these guys aren't healthy, then obviously you have a, a big problem. Sure. But, you know, if you if you have six guys that are coming back and you're talking about young players as well or rookies as well, I, I think that you, you you should be in good shape. Uh, yeah, totally agree there, Larry. Moving on just a little bit, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is just sort of the notion of, of off-season uh, pickup game videos and hype videos that, that you see from players every year. Normally, I paid almost no attention to things like that because – I know from my own pickup games that half the time people aren't guarding anybody and it's not translatable to like a, what a real game would look like. But the John Wall ones have been one of the few ones where like I've actively, you know, listened or watched all the way through each of these videos. And he does look to have some bounce. The shot looks a little bit more fluid. I always think that, you know, you talking about, you know, just repping that jumper out and like, it just looks a little smoother. You know, it was kind of maybe shot putty or a little hitchy before, but, it seems like a clean flowing release. Maybe that's different with a defender in your face in a real game, but have you seen any of these yet? What, what do you think about how John's starting to look? And is it a, just at least a good sign that he's out on the court with Kyrie Irving and people like that right now? Yeah, no, I think it's a good sign. I think it's a good sign. And it's it's up to these guys to put themselves in, in quality gyms, right? Against quality competition where they can actually get some work done. Mm-hmm. There's no need to go and you know play at the homeboy rec center and just, you know, weave and, and, you know, work your way through everyone. Because I seen a clip where he was uh, Mike Beasley. I was in the gym with Mike Beasley. And that's a dog that's not ne- – he's never going to let you um, go half-ass. So if you see a clip or you see a pickup game with Mike Beasley, then you know that they're probably playing some some real offensive basketball, right? And my thing is it, it's completely about conditioning and being in, in tip-top shape and – you look really good in the summer because you're not playing any defense. Mm-hmm. And obviously when in the league, we talk about there's no defensive defense being played, but there is rotation. There is, you know, adjusting to someone else's movements that cause, you know, cause a little bit more stress than just your natural movement. So I think that when you see in the summertime, you see guys are, are, are in better shape because they're not playing defense. And so it's, it's completely about their offensive game. But when you're putting in that work and putting in that time with quality guys and you are executing on things that you have been working on, right, whether you're coming off of injury to see if you could get to that spot 
or see if you could explode when you get to that position or that point on the court. I think that, that that's valuable uh, to take into account when you talk about how can this translate into, you know, into the season. And I've seen that because he's been in the gym and been on the floor with quality guys playing back, although they're not playing an NBA sort of deal, it is it is better transferred to from way back when when you guys were just going into any gym, just playing any sort of pickup basketball. Now guys are really doing organized workouts, which I think is really, really good because it just elevates the competition, competition and elevates the thought process. And it's not just like I'm going and running with my boys and, in, in, you know, in, in the summer and, and, and like you said, at the YMCA or the, the LA fitness or whatever, it's, Hey, I did a workout with a skill development guy and I worked on my jumper. I took a thousand jumpers and then I went and played and put it into practice. And it's that whole sort of, that's just one piece of it, I think is probably a big deal. And it, it's confidence too, man. I mean, you know, when you're playing in the summertime, you're playing in, you know, you're, like your high school gym, right? Or you, where your backdrop is different. And then when you get into your season, you know, you're in the arena with the, you know, just a different backdrop. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different sort of vibe that you get. But obviously all of that stuff can transfer from your summertime uh, to your actual NBA game season if if you're healthy. How much more important is conditioning when you're someone like Wall who is coming back from a tough injury? You know, for me, just if if I'm if I feel like I'm not in particularly good shape and I and I go play pick up a couple of nights that week, I'm much more prone to to re-injure something or to pull something. You know, is it that much more important for him to be in good, you know, in good shape going into some of these pickup games and stuff? Uh, it's very important for him. I think because he's been out so long and you know, just the attention to detail that I hope that he has with his strength and condition coach, his performance coach, to make sure that he's, you know, identifying and and working on those small muscles, right? Those small muscles that haven't gotten a lot of use uh, just due to not wanting to to re-injure anything or hurt anything further. So just really paying attention to those smaller muscle groups because those are the ones that are affected because you're trying not to disturb them too much because you're coming back from injury. But when it's time to to go full speed, you don't have that luxury of, of not, you know, going from zero to 100 right? When you hit the NBA season, right? If you go from zero to 50 in the NBA season, then we're all talking about, uh-oh, he, he lost a step. He's not who he was before. So you have to have that, you know, need that ability to go from zero to a hundred. And I think that comes with, you know, just the detailed stuff that he's been doing with his, with his people, hopefully. You know, it's always like, if you don't post a workout video, it's almost like you apparently didn't work out all summer, but for Wall, he's one of the few people who are like, I'm actually happy to see him doing box jumps with the weighted vest and running with uh, the parachute on and stuff like that. Cause it just, it gives you that confidence that he's done the work to really protect, you know, himself from, from more injuries. So hopefully that's a good sign of uh, things to come. One of the things we talked about a little bit the last couple of weeks was, was just doing a little bit more draft talk. And one of the positions you hear from everybody is just the wizards need for an additional center. The, the two big center prospects in the draft uh, Anyeka Kongwu, we've talked about a couple times on this show, so I don't want to get into it too much. But uh, James Wiseman's the other big one, played only three games at Memphis before had some eligibility issues. Did you get to see any of Wiseman, Larry? Or have you seen him on any of like the, the high school circuits and so, or AAU circuits over the years? I've seen him since he was in eighth grade. 
Okay. Uh, ninth grade, I, I believe it was ninth grade. So he's one of those hybrid guys uh, who's always been kind of the thin guy, but was the guy that was on the block because he was really tall and really skilled. Uh, now that I see he's putting on some weight, you know, and kind of growing into his body. And he's, again, one of those hybrid guys. And you expect him to step out on the floor and pull a bigger guy out on the floor and go around a bigger guy or, or be able to make a play. And then if you get that, you know, one four switch of a, of a point guard or a two guard on him, you would expect him to be able to go to the block or the mid post uh, to make a play. And he's as skilled as, as any uh, big kid that I've seen, and he's only getting better. Uh, he's very intelligent, uh, very well-spoken, and I think that that helps these young kids as they get into the NBA because they can you know, quickly understand terminology, and it, a lot of the game is played between the years. Uh, so I think that that's a quality guy, and his name has been mentioned for a, a, a while now as far as it being one of those top draft picks, but that's a quality name there. He's not likely to be around by the time the Wizards pick at number nine, but based on what you just said there, is that a guy you would be willing to to call around about and, and see about maybe trading up to, hey, if somebody at four or five isn't sold on anybody or doesn't need a center, is this the type of guy that you would consider making you know, a bigger investment in? I think I think you make those calls because I think you show that shows confidence, you know, that gives confidence to you know, Brad or John, you know, that you're doing everything possible to help uh, build that roster. And a player loves when when their their organization talks about moving up because the expectations are growing. Right. You're not moving up if you don't have expectations to to compete. And I think that that will go a long way with those guys just to to know that the team is willing to explore these things to try to put a better product out on the court. How about his Memphis teammate, uh, Precious Achua? I'm assuming you've seen him out and about it, a lot of the same stuff. Um, Brings some of the same things to the table that, that Wiseman does. You know, he's got some skill, he's athletic, a little smaller, uh, maybe a little quicker laterally and things like that. Uh, maybe not as much as like a traditional five, but uh, he could rebound for you. He could block some shots. He could switch and, and cover perimeter guys a little bit. Maybe a nine is a reach for him, so that's a trade-back situation. But, but what do you think about Precious's game and, and how he would kind of complement someone like Thomas Bryant? I think that he's a compliment. I, I would want to see him compliment, be a change of, change of pace, I guess, for a, a more of an offensive uh, big guy, uh, maybe a slower big guy. Uh, just because you can change the speed with throwing a guy like in there, mm-hmm. you know, just to do different things. So I've seen him be really active. I've seen him be really aggressive. I've seen him go um, and, and support and help his team. I haven't seen him shoot the basketball, which now is one of those qualities, whether you're a point guard or a center, you know, you have to have that capability. You have to have that quality in your game, but from a, a sheer athlete someone that's aggressive, someone that's been playing against high level competition as much as he can. You know, I think that that's a quality, you know, a quality guy and a quality name that's on the board. I do think, I do think that's a reach at, at nine, but again, you have to understand what's the other pieces that are around to make that make sense because he can complement and change the game and change the speed at, at, at a different level. I think you totally nailed it. Like just given the rest of the Wizards personnel, it would be hard to see him be like their exclusive everyday small ball five. If if he can't shoot it a little bit, you know, that's not wall strength. That's not Troy Brown strength. Like it would, 
it would just kind of make things a little bit tougher. But, you know, if they find themselves at 17 or 20 or one of those types of things, uh, it's definitely a guy I, I think could, could give them some things they need. Another name that, that maybe is a little bit of a, a different blend, a guy I've seen probably play more than any other prospect is Jalen Smith of Maryland. Uh, maybe more of a power forward at this point, just because he's got to bulk up a little bit here too, but blocks some shots, uh, rebounds a little bit, you know, shoots the three. He's gotten a lot better at that in his two years at Maryland, but maybe a little slow footed. He's not going to switch out onto anybody and, and he gets pushed around a little bit by bigger guys. So long-term, I think he could be a good defender. He may be a guy that struggles, but you're starting to hear a lot more talk about him as a lottery pick. Is is Smith the guy you've seen a, a decent amount of, Larry? I think that that's his skill of, of being a bigger guy that can stop at the top of the key and knock down a three-pointer. You know, these guys you know, that are big and they're coming up in this day and age, you got to be able to shoot the ball. I'll say it for the, for the 100 millionth <laughs> time. You have to be able to shoot the ball because that's going to elevate you. Yeah. When you go through the entire year, when you're you're being mentioned, you're being talked about, and the thing that's going to elevate you when it gets down to the 25th hour is your ability to shoot the basketball. Can they, can they make shots? Because there's a long process that goes along with these guys are rebounding. We're watching them on tape. They are, you know, they're playing good defense. You know, they're, they're um, you know, they're being a good teammate. But when it's time to push that button to select that player, what's going to separate you from your mate next to you is your ability to shoot the basketball. And if you can shoot the basketball from distance, it's going to elevate you. And I think that that's what's happened with Jalen is that it's his ability to, again, stop and shoot the basketball from the top of the key is, is an asset to him. And I hope that he uses it to his advantage. By all accounts, another good kid, really hard worker. I mean, Maryland's got a pretty good strength and conditioning program. Like he's bulked up maybe like 25 pounds since he's been here. So you have hope that he'll put in the work to do all the physical stuff to, to be ready to impact the game. And, and I'm not sure if he's younger or not than, than his actual, his graduating class, but I believe he's a, younger than the, the guys that were in his graduating class, which obviously is, is an advantage to him now at this point because – he has more room to, to obviously grow in the eyes of, of the guys that are selecting these picks. I would have to double check because uh, I'm starting to get like number fatigue from all the ages and wingspans and stuff. But I think he's actually younger than Precious Achua is despite being uh, a sophomore as opposed to a freshman. So I think that's a, another good point. Uh, the last one I just want to throw out there to you, and this is probably the one you have seen the least of. It's definitely the one I've seen the least of is Alexei Pokasevsky. He's the seven foot, 190 pound uh, European prospect. He played in like the Greek B or C league this year against, you know, guys that look like me that are chain smoking at halftime and stuff. Uh, but, but he's like 19 years old. He can dribble, pass, shoot, reasonably athletic, mobile, can dunk on guys. But he's literally the skinniest prospect I've ever seen. Like I, I saw Jalen, or not Jalen, um, John Henson in a high school game and it was like oh holy shit how is this guy 6'10 and probably 185 pounds but uh this Pokusevsky kid is is really really close to that he's like the you know the anorexic uh Kristaps Porzingis like that that would terrify me to take a lottery pick especially if I'm the Wizards and and I need to show Brad and John I'm serious like this is a guy that's not going to help you until you know 2024 or something like that 
Yeah, I would advise against that if we're looking to make sure that we have Brad's confidence. I mean, he is a big part of the organization. So you want to make sure that you, you know, all the things that I said earlier, you still want to make sure that 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 guy has the confidence within your organization that you're trying to do right by not just him, but obviously the, the entire situation. And to, to go for a, a project at that number with the struggles that the team has had, you know, over the last year and a half, is what wouldn't be a huge vote of confidence, you know, moving forward. And then you just open up the door for, if you're going to draft a project, then your better players are going to want to move on and allow you to, to build exactly what you're trying to build and allow them to move on and, and try to win what they're trying to do, what they're trying to win. You know, one of the teams you hear him attached to a lot is Boston because they have three first round picks so they can afford a, a draft and stash guy they, they don't need immediate help like it makes a lot more sense for a, you know a playoff contender like that 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 also happens to have a fringe lottery pick uh but especially at, at nine i think that would have been a, a reach anyway but he is getting some looks in the 14 15 range and and even then uh, uh it just that would that would terrify me I tell you, man, everybody gets enamored with that, you know, that shiny new toy, man. He can and shoot it, though. Like you said, I mean, the, the shoot, the shooting will get you there. And the shooting will get you on the board. I mean, it is shooting to get you on the board. And, and especially when you just pop up in, in space and you're just there now. And plus, you can shoot the basketball and you have, you know, those ball skills. When I say ball skills, that's not just about dribbling the basketball. That's catching and passing as mm-hmm. well. You know, those are quality skills. It's so funny that you said that, like catching the ball is such an underrated thing. I, I don't think that's something that people think about. And, and I don't know if that's, if I were going to work a guy out before the draft, like that would be a drill I would do is just something like that for any of my bigs, because anybody can stand still and hit catch and shoot jumpers. You, you know, like we, we talked about the Andre Drummond comparing himself to Kevin Durant thing. Like you see him in a pickup game. Now the guy will hit 10 NBA threes in a row but is he going to do that in the flow of the game? Is he going to catch a pocket pass and and spin to the hoop and lay it up? Like that, that would be something I would put more uh, em- emphasis on than people seem to. Hey man, I'm in the youth space, and you know, obviously being a former professional, it just these are things that we learn, right? These are the things that we pick up just as a, as a natural understanding of how to actually get your job done. And I see so many guys that are skill developers that are trainers that don't have that understanding of, of what actually goes into being really successful at the highest level of basketball and just the, the sheer ability of hand placement on a catch or a pass is very important. And these are things that we teach within the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy, a shameless plug there. There you go. I like it. Uh, Larry, I think that was the main stuff I had for you this week, just kind of level setting on where the Wizards are at, what we can see. The draft is on the 18th of November. So that's coming up on us pretty quick here. Uh, actually, the well, the only other thing I wanted to mention to you is now it looks pretty likely that the Christmas Day start time might actually be be what the NBA goes with. You've heard some of the players already push back that, you know, if you're LeBron, that's too quick a turnaround. You need a little more offseason than that. Actually, Brad talked about this. He hasn't played since March, so I think he's uh, – it's one end or the other. It seems like guys are either itching and ready to go. Half the league hasn't played and six, seven months. The other half needs a breather. It seems a little soon to me. I don't know what, what you think about that, though. I just think the guys have been off for so long, teams and organizations, they've, they've been off for so long that you have to get these guys back going. You have to get these guys back ramped up because 
their their bodies are at stake as well, right? I mean, obviously you have to take into account that the teams have finished last. You know, they played you know, up until a couple of weeks ago, but these guys also have a process that they take to keep their bodies healthy and and able to perform at a high level. And you just don't want to take too much time off because again, we talk about those small muscles, those small muscle groups, and they can be a huge problem if you're not consistently working and, and obviously playing at a, at a high level. I liked that MLK date, you know, like the, it's, it's only like three weeks past Christmas, you know, or maybe closer to a month, but it seemed like a safe middle ground between, you know, February or March versus starting on Christmas. But it, it wouldn't shock me to see that, Hey, uh, oh, maybe Christmas isn't going to work. Some of the players push back too much and, and we're somewhere in early January or something like that. But it's okay by us as a content uh, podcast, you know, having some actual basketball to talk about finally uh, w- would be nice. Folks, I think that's that's all we got for you this week. We'll be back next week with another installment. If there's uh, any prospects you want to talk about or free agents we can get into, let us know. Larry and I will do our homework. We'll, we'll research the cap, all that good stuff, and uh, we'll be ready to go next week. Uh, Larry, thanks as always. Yes, sir. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.